0: Hello and welcome to another Pinnacle Advantage Betters. I'm your host, Charlie Dear, and today we are looking ahead to the Wimbledon Championships. I'm joined, as always, by tennis data expert, Dan Weston. And if you listen back to our last uh, episode on the French Open, it seemed like Drew lives and breathes for this grass court season and and, and Wimbledon in particular. And we've got Drew Dinsick on the... Uh, On the call as well. How are you doing, fellas? Looking forward to this one. Yeah, very much so.
1: Absolutely. This is, uh, It's kind of falls in the calendar where there's really nothing else going for me. So I can really, really sink my teeth into uh, sort of the grass, this tiny little, you know, grass season that we get. Um, And, uh, you know, waking up on the West Coast of the US and flipping on the television to watch, uh, you know, five hours of grass tennis every morning is about as good as it gets.
0: Yeah, honestly, I've uh, that, that's what I've been doing for these uh, lead-up events, Eastbourne and Queens, just kicking back, and it, it, before you know it, you're like two, three, four hours down, and just, <laughs> it, it's bliss. It's bliss. Um, talking of sort of the uh, lead-up events, I just want to do a little bit of a roundup of um, what's been happening in some of the events so far. Um, we had in the in the Boss Open, Francis Tiafoe um won a, a first uh what's it called a first title on grass and um also in the Le, in the Laberma open uh talon Greek sport and then last week uh we we saw the Halle open won by Alex Bublik and Queen's won by Carlos Alcaraz which saw him go back to world number 1 um and then this week as we're recording we have Eastbourne and and, and Mallorca going on for the ATP side. If we look at what's been happening in the women's side of the, uh, side of the events, Katie Bolter won in Nottingham, which was her first ever title on grass. And she's number one, uh, Britain's, British number one as well. Petra Gavitova, who I uh, was, uh, she keeps, keeps coming back, fair play to her. She won in Germany. And Yelena Ostapenko uh, won the Birmingham Classic in the last few weeks as well. I just want to get your your guys' thoughts of just like the what you make of like the run up to um, Wimbledon and and, uh, and the events that we see. We we mentioned off uh, before we started recording about some players who uh, don't might might uh, not bother playing in these uh, warm up events or really like pick and choose carefully. Um, but I just first ask Drew, what sort of have you taken away from these last few events, and and is there much you can take away from them?
1: Yeah, I think um I usually don't take away much from grass warm up because it's so abbreviated um and motivations are, you know, is tough to pin down. There's not many ranking points, there's not a ton of money. Uh Queens is obviously in my opinion at least a very prestigious tournament to win. You obviously you get the biggest trophy, uh, so that matters. Um but in you know, in terms of kind of impacting player ratings, I usually am pretty light in terms of adjustments made uh, from what I'm coming in in terms of prior uh, based on what we see outside of kind of noting injury. Uh, and that's a, a little different this year. Um, I feel like you could pretty clearly say from where we finished Clay to where we stand now that the gap between the top two and the men's is even greater than it is, was right? The, the, the cream has separated and, you know, it to the degree where looking past your top two choices on the men's draw is kind of, I don't think it's really worthwhile, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but on the women's side, it's been the opposite. I think, um, I thought you had a pretty clear tier coming into um, grass season of, you know, three favorites and Iga, uh Sabalenka and Rybakina um Iga's done you know, she hasn't done anything to really warrant downgrading her but you know just in general what i'm seeing doesn't look to be a step forward on grass from what was you know somewhat questionable results in years past uh still doesn't look very natural on grass it's not to say she can't win quimbledon she absolutely can um, but i don't think she's you know warranting anywhere close to sort of the favoritism you saw Enclay. Um and Rabakina has been stricken with a pretty significant illness. And Sabalenka looks to have still be dealing with some of the mental damage of her ouster at uh Roland Garros. So it's I think the you know, the men's side, the favorites have separated. The women's side, they're like the entire kind of upper class is coming together to a degree, uh, and no one's really separating themselves. Um, and you know, the Kind of the only standout you have to kind of circle, I think, is Petra Kvitova because she is two-time champ here because she does have the game that really excels on grass. And, you know, coming off of a really, really impressive tournament this spring in Miami uh, and then backing that up with the win uh, in, um, you know, on grass already this season is, is pretty important. So um, she's kind of pretty clearly stepped into that mix for me at the top of the board. But uh, otherwise, I think... um you know, the women's is starting to, I'm I'm willing to entertain some surprises, whereas the men's, if we don't get a Djokovic-Alcrest final, I'll be quite suppressed.
0: And Dan, probably a similar question to you. And just also, is there any players you want to pick out that sort of maybe catapulted themselves into into contention?
2: I think broadly speaking, I've got a very, very similar viewpoint to, to the one that Drew's just expressed uh, in terms of, Particularly, Djokovic is just like miles ahead of anything else on on the ATP tour, uh, and and that I've seen so far, and completely deserves his uh, his favorite status in this tournament. Odds on, and and this we talk about preparation and warm-up events. Well, he doesn't tend to do a great deal. Um, he's going to play the hurlingham exhibition this week, and that's exactly what he did last year before he won last year, so um. I, I don't see that as a negative for him at all, that he hasn't participated in any of these three-week uh, three weeks warm-up events. Um, Arcaraz, I think, will have a lot of supporters after that win at Queen's. Um, but ultimately, he hasn't faced a single top 15 opposition in that run, and he almost lost in round one to Arthur Rindenech as well. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think the, 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 there's a danger that the market will overvalue him uh, particularly if he gets a pretty pretty straightforward draw um, the flip side is that the, the Medvedev is, is is underperforming quite a lot right now uh, and yet has much more grass pedigree and you can get a much bigger price on on on, on Daniel so so the, i think those three in the outright markets are are so much further ahead than everybody else in terms of the warm up events and who i've picked out and what my learnings are i think that for me my learnings are that no player is consistent enough to challenge Djokovic, which I probably knew already. But but also that, that I don't think there's a great deal between fifteen or so players right now in that sort of next category of player, and that could be quite interesting when you're looking at side markets such as quarter winner or something like that, or trading if you if, if that's if that's of your mindset as well. So. Guys like Corder, who we've already mentioned, had a, had a good run at Queen's, big good opposition at Queen's, even though he lost to Alcaraz in the semi-final. Uh, TFO, who won in Stuttgart, then lost to Corder at Queen's, which is, I think, fair after after the exertions at, 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 in Stuttgart. Uh, Alex de Manor, who's who's got a game for quick conditions and uh, reached the final at Queen's, in fact, which was a very, very, very... Competitive straight set loss. If, if, if such a thing makes sense in terms of yeah. both him and Alcaraz had had two break points, the Menor won 48% of points in the match. That's very, very, very high for, for a player, uh, who loses in straight sets. So for me, um, he's someone and I'm, I'm not thinking about players who can get to at least the semi finals or maybe if the, the draw opens up for them a surprise final spot, but I think that the, the, the it's all just reinforced the fact that I think that I'm sorry Djokovic I should say is is the favourite by a long way
0: Mm. yeah go for it Drew if you had something to
1: yeah I think the other kind of context to provide here are you know reasons to kind of just basically believe the market price on Djokovic is right which I don't have any strong disagreement with Uh, he hasn't lost on grass since 2018 um, I remember that match. Uh, it was the Queens final against Marin Cilic, and he had Cilic in the bag uh, in that second set and uncharacter- and uncharacteristically was very uh, not Djokovic-like in the tiebreak of the second set and then uh, ultimately let that title slip between his fingers. Um, before that, you know, he lost once in 2017 at Wimbledon. He got beat by Thomas Burdich. Burdich, of course, off tour. Uh, in 2016, one of the most absolutely ridiculous I think probably the second most surprising result of my slam watching life, Sam Query beat Djokovic over the balance of like three days uh, at Wimbledon in round of 32. Um, That was unbelievable. The only more absurd result I can remember is Dennis Isteman beating Djokovic at the Australian open, um, Mm -hmm. which still defies all belief. Um, But uh, yeah, we're, we're in 2016 now. Uh, Those are the last three losses that he's had on grass to go and you go back one more now we're at 2013 uh he lost to andy murray at wimbledon um so this is it's 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 just insane that he has this level of competence on this surface um and you know it's people won't talk about it in the same breath that they will you know qualify rafa nadal's performances on clay because there's so much more clay tennis And it's so much more obvious and, you know, and and the superlatives are, are just, you know, they're going to be impossible to, to, to match, you know, what Roth has done on clay, but, you know, Djokovic pretty clearly has that same pedigree on grass. It's just that the season's shorter and there's really only Wimbledon uh, to kind of hold up there, but, you know, he's the greatest player on grass of all time and it's by a margin now. Um, And, you know, the only guy that he's ever lost to on grass that's in this draw is Andy Murray. Uh, Andy Murray, of course, I thought was putting together something kind of interesting, uh, but he was doing it at the qual- challenger level uh, to start the grass season and then uh, really didn't show us much of anything uh, in you know getting to more difficult competition in the last couple of weeks. So uh, that may be nothing. Um, I'm hopeful that there's something there because I would love to see Andy Murray make a run here. It would be a great story and it would really capture a lot of the uh, you know, capture a lot of the headlines, particularly in the UK. So that'd be fun. Um, but uh, yeah, there's just nobody that has, you know, has the goods that, you know, can kind of point to their experience, point to their, you know, um, uh, their accomplishments and and convince themselves mentally that they have the, you know, they have what it takes to beat Djokovic at Wimbledon. So um, I'm not inclined to lay this price, but I would absolutely not take any long shots. Um, the only player I think that can beat him in terms of quality of tennis is Carlos Alcaraz. And in the back of my head, um there is some hope that Djokovic having taken the career slam title at French Open and then taking a couple weeks to truly vacation and maybe lets his guard down a little bit, maybe goes into a final against Alcaraz with a little bit too much confidence. Uh, faces a player in Alcaraz who is learning new tricks and is unpredictable and is very, you know, could be a, could be a surprise challenger in that moment. Um, And I think realistically, I'm just going to sit on my hands, see if Carlos Alcaraz figures anything out in the run-up to the final. And at that point you may get a price in the, you know, in the plus 200 plus 250 range against Djokovic in the final, at which point I would probably bite on Alcaraz, but um, you know, I don't it's just it's so hard to find a reason to doubt Djokovic at this point. And I don't know. I think the loss to Sam Query in 2016 sticks in my mind because that was the Wimbledon that came after that was like his exhale moment. He wanted the French Open for the career slam so badly and finally got it in 2016 and then turned right around and had that that shocking loss to Query. There's in the back of my head. I feel like that could happen, but I, I just, uh, you know, I, I, I don't see any other players on tour that could realistically make that happen, um, other than Alcaraz, and at which point that would be the final. So, long way to say, okay. the price is probably fair. There's not a real bet to be had in the outright market, um, but I'm gonna, you know, kind of keep my powder dry for a shot at Djokovic in the final if Alcaraz gets there. Mm.
0: It'd be interesting what you said on on the point that see off the back of um, them playing in in the French and um, Alcaraz obviously going down with with the cramps and, and his injury. If you as you said, if it is this is another Djokovic exhale moment. If he can come back with that intensity that he played and uh, and and sort of saw off Alcaraz, or if Alcaraz, as you say, find those new tricks, and obviously he's learning every day on grass, so it might be a bit of a shock factor that. Sort of surprises Djokovic if 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 and when they do meet. It was interesting that um, obviously so you mentioned a few players there, Dan Alex Diminuer, who has always been known to be good on grass, but I thought he showed a lot of heart and a lot of um, just sort of nous as well on the on that on that surface. Um, Sebastian Corda as well, he is well down but in our market below Andy Murray, which I was very shocked to see. And he's at 32s, Steve's at 35s. Corder sort of came out and said he expects to be a big challenger for the title of Wimbledon. Is that just him being young and brash, or do you think he can actually make the semi finals, something like that? I don't think he's a challenger for the title, but I do think that if the draw
2: opens up, he can definitely uh, fight to come through a quarter or something like that. If 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 the situation's right, Um, as far as the price compared to Andy Murray goes, I mean that's just utterly absurd. Um, Murray obviously won those two challenger ones against against no one of any repute whatsoever, and then was completely outclassed by by the Menorah at Queen's. And I think, to be honest with you, I think last time I checked the odds, it was 32.29 on on Murray uh, with Pinnacle. And I think, to be really, really honest with you, you're better off giving that money to charity because uh, (laughs) you're going to have no ROI on it
0: whatsoever. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I got to agree. But, um, yeah, it was interesting to see that. And then, and Holger Runa, we were saying, one, he got to the semi final, won his first ever few of his first ever grass matches he's played. He he's at twenty sevens. It'll be it'll be interesting because he is below the likes of like Yannickson, uh, Medvedev, even Fritz and 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 Sitsipas. But I think he showed that um, he's got he he has got the makings of being a good grass court player. But it's still so early in his sort of development on on that surface. Yeah, too early for him, I think. If if we then go um, into sort of the outright markets then, I know we've just touched on it, but we'll pivot to the, uh, we'll go WTA side this time, first of all. Um, as as we said, Sriyantek, Sabalenko and Ryabakena Ry are sort of split by very fine margins in that top three. Um, I see uh, your uh, article that's going to come out soon, Dan. I was... You were sort of saying she wanted uh sorry, her um game mate her game might not be the most suitable for grass out of those out of those top three. Um and we've also heard about Ruck right back in the sort of um illnesses and, and trying to get over that. Do we still see yeah, so someone from that yeah, do we still yeah, see that top someone from that top three winning it? Well
2: look, um I, I, I think that the the the, the price is is it's not really something that interests me, but what, the thing, the clear point for me is, is that it's this is a surface where, which is a, a leveler between her and the field, whereas on clay and even on hard court, um, she's just streets ahead of everybody else, and, and there's, there's no comparison. She has got to have a really a big off day, and the opponent's got to play very, very well for for her to get beaten. I don't think there's there's much doubt about that. On grass, I think that that's a, there's a different there's a different um, argument. Um, stats wise, over the last couple of years, grass, she is not the tour leader, and she's not that close to being the top leader. Tour leader, sorry, I should say. i uh, will be really interested to see how she gets on over this 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 week. Um, as but then. Sabalenka and Rybakina don't really come into this with, with a great deal of, of wins either. So I actually am really, really looking forward to this women's win with them because I think this is wide open. Yeah. And there's maybe 10, 10 players, I think, who could realistically have half a half a chance of, of, of winning a, a grand slam. And almost well, not almost certainly, but it's highly likely uh, mathematically that there's going to be a new winner. Of Of a new we wooden winner here, because after I back it the, the you have to go back to two thousand and fourteen and fourteen Kvitová to find the the last winner of the tournament who's going to be in this field so uh yeah that's 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 going to be fascinating as well so yeah I, I can't wait for this. I think this is going to be a much more interesting tournament than the mens, i'm sorry to say um and and yeah buzzing to see how certain players get on
1: yeah. Yes. No, I think that's, that's well said. And, uh, the only glim, I mean, if you're, if you're a hardcore EGA supporter, or if you've already locked in a big price for her at Wimbledon, the only kind of thing I can give you in terms of fuel is her hold percentage is up meaningfully from last year. Mm-hmm. And if she's improving that aspect of her game, I haven't seen it by eye. Uh, but if it, if, if, but if it is improved, then that, Helps her chances, certainly. Um, but I agree with Dan's sentiment where I, they're realists. You said 10, I think. And a, yeah, I think that's kind of the, the issue, which is there are 10 to 12 women who I think all kind of have relatively close win equity here. There's not a yeah. big separation in the top three to the rest of the field. And the rest of the field is pretty divorced as well, I think, where you have players who have good game and are in good form like Ekaterina Alexandrova and yep. Kudermatova and you know maybe Samsonova, maybe Kuchikova, uh definitely Kovitova, um maybe Caroline Garcia. Uh you know, they're they're that group there is I would take any one of those women head to head at price against Sablanka or Rabakina right now, given what given what we're seeing from them. Mm. Um I'm not convinced 100 percent that Rebakina plays this tournament. I think uh, you need to keep a very close eye on uh, news and information from her camp as to whether she's ultimately going to go or whether she's going to withdraw, um, and that's going to have you know huge effects in the futures markets, futures pools, particularly if it comes after we see where she's seated. Um, so that's kind of at the very top of my mind right now in terms of trying to capture uh, price. I think. Didn't really mention non Jabor. I don't really know what to do with that. I have some personal scars from her <laughs> oh so close last year that I are affecting my perception, certainly. Uh, but she does have special, you know she is have a specialist nature in terms of her game and the way it plays on grass. So you have to at least kind of think she is on the fringes of the mix, if not squarely in the mix. Um, and then there are other players of the class of like the Beatrice hadad Mayas who, you know, have shown that they have an endurance at the slam level that could get them through just on the basis of, pers- you know, perseverance. Um, so yeah, right there. I think that's kind of my, you know, my quote unquote mix of players who I think realistically could win um, the only players that the U S players I'm, I'm pretty cool. Cool on right now. I'm cool on Pagula. I'm cool on Coco golf. Um, I'm cool on uh, Daniel Collins. Um, I'm not seeing enough out of Zachary to think that she can get over the hump here. I'm not seeing anything. I'm from Kasekina. Uh, Benchich is a scratch. Uh, Muhova is interesting. I liked her, you know, which, you know, she, she obviously, you know, is no longer of the very valuable price because of what she did at the French open. Um, but, uh, you know, she could put together another run. Um, Hostepenko, a little bit too volatile. Pliskova over the hill, Azarenka over the hill, Vekic I didn't mention, but she's kind of in that mix with Alexandrova and Kudermetova for me in terms of that second class. But, uh, yeah, the women's side is going to be extremely fun. I'm curious out of those names or anyone I didn't mention people that, uh, Dan has eyes for, because you're probably going to need to play the draw a little bit here. Um, yeah. and that's fine. Uh, that'll be a fun problem to solve. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, this is, this is good. The women's, the women, the women's is going to be significantly more entertaining than the men's. I think that's a safe bet.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And no, I agree. I agree with, with pretty much everything that Drew says um, as, as is often the case. Um, and uh, look, I think that there's certainly some players that you can pretty much draw a line through here. Um, either just, Injury doubts or out, really out form, or or not really with that much grass uh, pedigree. Um, so it's so you you wade through those and, and and maybe find a few players who who I think I would definitely be looking to to at least keep an eye on for the draw. Um, Jabur would be one just because she's done really well on grass historically. Um, Obviously, runner-up here here last year. Be um, interesting to see how how she gets on uh, over the course of this week uh, in Eastbourne. She had a good win over Paolini today in the straight sets, so that was that was the start. Uh, Kavetova is, I think, one of the form horses going into this this tournament. Obviously, we know she's got grass pedigree, uh, and uh, she's. Um, Won the warm-up event in Berlin without even dropping a set, and 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 I, I at the moment, I mean, last time I checked, I think that price was at eighteen point seven six with Pinnacle. I don't think that price is going to be there very long. Um, that that's going to be fourteens ish probably pretty soon. Um. Mm-hmm. If you, uh, the standout one of that sort of group just below that you pick up, uh, there's certainly a lot to like about about that. It's just whether she's got it in her to play consistently well for seven matches at, at kind of this stage of her career would be, would be my kind of take on it. Alexandrova, a bigger price, who actually I don't think is actually in the pinnacle market yet. So, so there's a request, Charlie, get, get, get Alexandra <laughs> in the market. Get, as the, well. get the traders on that ASAP. Yeah yeah so she's she's a fast surface specialist. She won her Toschenbosch Bosch uh, semi-final in Berlin as well so another form horse going into this event and the conditions are, I think are, are going to really suit her and with with confidence and, and, and some decent grass court pedigree uh she could be a really dangerous sort of player from away from the the top seeds of this tournament I think. Uh, and if you fancy a little bit of volatility in your life, I think Ostapenko mm-hmm. might give you a run for your money as well. Um, the serves always a, a, a question mark, but actually out of all of the contenders, of the top sort of top 20 contenders on the pinnacle prices right now, um, she's got the highest return points, one on grass by quite a long way over the last couple of years, and obviously one in Birmingham as well. So, so she's coming into the event with without that many doubts over her. So, so... Let's see how, how the draw goes for her as well. I mean that that's gonna be fascinating too.
0: Yeah, for sure. Is um I'm just looking at um going down the uh into the depths of the uh the outright market here. You've got um I know Drew sort of wiped a few off already, um <laughs> but you've got like uh well like, like Leila Fernandez, um you got like Mad- Madison Keys here, um got um Casakina. Paola Badosa's just always, she's, uh, she's, um, always around that 30, 30 mark as well. Is, is there, uh, is there any, any sort of, uh, what's it called? Daniel you were talking about giving Andy Murray's money to charity. Is there anyone else like
1: that that we can just
0: immediately, uh, rule <laughs> out there?
1: you giving uh, any, more, any more money out? I think is Annette Contivate retired, retired, right? Like she's not playing Wimbledon. She's at 45. That would be a charity. So that would be a, a better served uh, yeah. in the charity pod. Uh,
2: I think that the, there's a couple probably. <laughs> um, I, I, I I don't like to write off players, but I, I think it's going to be, be really difficult for some players to, to get anywhere near the latter stages. I, I look at uh, someone like Belinda Benchich, who's only played one one match since the start of April, and that was a French Open loss in the first round as a one point one five favourite. I mean, like, she she's always like I don't know if you you drew you almost certainly not heard of this, but Charlie, you might have done. There was a there was an English soccer manager called Alan Kerbishley, um back in yeah. the day. Last twenty years, and and Very he new. was he was he was quoted as like the third or the fourth favorite for every managerial yep. job going for about a decade, yeah. and,
0: <laughs> and the rest, and, mate. and the rest, yeah. and,
2: and he never got one. And, yeah. I, and I kind of look at Belinda Benchich in these Grand Slam markets at the moment is a bit of an Alan Kurpischley. She's consistently there or thereabouts towards the kind of top, but, but, but realistically, he probably doesn't have much of an opportunity to, to do well. I think Karolina Pliskova's is uh, coming to the end now. Paula Badosa has not played for a couple of months. Um, probably not the best surface for her either. Uh, Azarenka's has lost five of her last seven as all as pre-match favourite. Uh, again, it's going to take a lot to turn that around. Uh, and also, I mean, this probably going to be the last time I'll ever say this, but... I, I I'm absolutely stunned that the, the Mira Andreva is in the top ten in the outright markets having never played a
0: professional career match on gross. <laughs> that is any absurd. any thoughts of why why they might she might be priced at that level right now?
1: They're scared of her. Uh, yeah. That's uh, I mean
0: They cover uh, the backs.
1: That is shocking. Uh, at the end of, uh, her run at the French open, um, she was getting so much market support that it was a pretty straightforward fade. Um, I think she went off almost as what co- basically like a pick against Coco Goff, the f- previous year's finalist at the French open who, you know, I, I definitely didn't have good numbers on her, but heading into the French open, but that was kind of amazing. Um, Andreva, yeah, that, that she doesn't deserve to be anywhere under 1% in terms of win probability here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't back anything shorter than a hundred to one. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, <laughs> the, the, there's, there's some pretty, it, there's some pretty important kind of repricing that's going to go on between this current market and what we ultimately see, yeah. uh, on July 3rd. Um, because there are a lot of players in this 30 to one to 60 to one range who have 0% chance to win. Um, mm-hmm. I agree with Benjic being one of them. Um, but Dosa B is one of them in my mind. Um, and that again, I don't think is playing, um, the, uh, and then on the flip side, like, yeah, you can get a better price on Donovan Vench- v- Vekic, who's playing and playing well, <laughs> than you can get on uh, <laughs> on, on Kontavite right now, which, uh, which says something. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, like, like just uh, without looking specifically at prices, like the players that I have that have greater than a 2% chance to win here in no particular order are Iga, Ons, Kvitova. And I think that would be my top three in some order. Mm-hmm. In terms of win probability, once we see the draw. Mm-hmm. Uh Rabakina, fourth only because of health questions and potential for withdrawal. Sabalenka for me would be fifth. Uh, although that better of your money than my money there, just because of what the way she crashed out of the French Open. That's gonna leave scars for a while. Um, and then a pretty clear break before the next class of players who include for me Kudermatova, Alexandrova, um, Donovekic. Karolina Muhova, Krachikova, um, Samsonova, albeit with injury question marks. Um, and then I think that's about where you draw the line. Ostapenko, actually, she's in there for sure. She, Ostapenko is, has better than 2% chance here. Um, but that's about it. I'm fine leaving Goff out of the mix. I'm fine leaving Plushkov out of the mix. Garcia's on the bubble for me. Keys, fine leaving her out of the mix. Zachary, I'm fine leaving her out of the mix. Beatrice hadad on the bubble for me. Uh, and then everybody else, I would be surprised if they even make it to week two. I
2: agree with that pretty much.
0: Yeah, completely. They're very difficult to dispute much of that at all. <laughs> and, and another player who I saw with today is Isla Tomanovic. Tomanovic. Um So she's obviously had a quite a torrid time as well. So um, it's no no sort of surprise there. Um one thing I wanted to speak about, uh, ask about before we sort of go over to the men's side of, of things is, so how do we expect the surface to play at Wimbledon this year? Um, yeah, these, uh, it, is Is it is it the surface that you sort of have to play most aggressively on? And also just from being in London in in the summer, you, you, there's no guarantee that it's going to be nice and dry for the whole time as well. Um yeah, Is anyone... so 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 pick that up on how we expect the courts might might play, and does that bring anyone else into contention? Well, for for me, from my
2: perspective as, as someone obviously who's actually spent quite a bit of time in the area around London in, in the last few weeks, um, I I I've seen the weather turn from being pretty cold and miserable for for uh, a a few a few weeks Mm -hmm. into something of a mini heat wave where where there's there's not there's not been a much rain uh, and things have been pretty dry overall which will potentially make the, the have an impact on the courts um maybe make them a bit quicker um but there is a rain forecast for Thursday this week and also for Tuesday uh, next week. So it depends how much rain there is um, around there over the next few days. And, and the temperatures uh, look like they're being dialed down a little bit now, so it shouldn't be super hot. Um, looking at the data, w- women's data of the tournament, um, service points one percentage, service whole percentage, uh, tie breaks uh, per set, aces per game are all very slightly below the the grass court average on the wta tour so that's something to consider i would i would call that pretty medium paced for grass which is going to be a lot quicker than most other surfaces but certainly not as quick as you might see at queens for example uh, um, or some of the other warm-up events Um, so so it, it, it probably wouldn't be quite as advantageous for the big servers as, as some of the other grass events, but I don't think there's a great deal to read into the conditions. To be honest,
0: hmm. there was one thing I saw on um, when I was watching the semi final between Alcaraz and um, Demon uh, and um, Corda was how Al, it, it was his backhands. I think it was his backhand slices. If I was, he played eighteen percent there at Roland Garros, and and during uh, at the time. Of that semi final um he he played forty three backhand slices, and I thought that's just um obviously him changing up his style obviously it's credit to him, but also sort of showed me how you have to play very differently on on this surface
1: yeah there's uh there's a specific skill set and and you know type of game that uh lends itself to being successful here surely i mean there's no it's no uh it's no surprise or um, you know, it's very explainable how guys like John Isner and Kevin Anderson, like they had much more success at Wimbledon than at any other surface, right. Or at any other slam and that that's explainable based on just their makeup and their power of their serve and how the, how the court plays. Um, I agree with Dan's point that there's not a ton to read into conditions right now. Um, I feel like every year we get here and people expect it to be extremely fast out of the gate, but the courts themselves are, the grass is very healthy and happy and it's a little bit wetter, you know, a little, just, just in general, they haven't been played on yet. And, you know, there are certainly commentary in the week one of like, Oh, this is playing more like clay than grass, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) You get to week two and things are just cooked completely cooked. <laughs> and you know, the baseline is brown and the T you know the this where the service is landing is is just uh is just the the balls coming off dead flat. And uh and I would expect we get there uh by the end of the tournament. Uh and so when you have kind of the matches that ultimately are gonna decide your champion on both sides, I think you're gonna get pretty fast. I think it's gonna be pretty uh um, you know, pretty classically uh, what we think of in terms of grass tennis by that point. Uh, and if it's hot and dry, then that may be accelerated into week one. Um, but I wouldn't make any assumptions about the speed of the surface and keep those fixed throughout the tournament because as things get played on, particularly center court and the show courts, the, um, you know, the conditions change.
0: Mm. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely one to keep an eye out for, uh, for our betters here. We've. I'm just thinking about we've we've done a quite a lot on the sort of ATP side, and we've sort of said that it's probably going to be Djokovic or Alcaraz. So, if if we did look a f- bit further down the the outright market, and w- was there any sort of like contenders or, or sort of value picks that are worth sort of picking out with with their form or how they play on grass, as opposed to just talking about maybe who who uh, aside from Djokovic
1: and Alcaraz? Well, I have a i have a question for dan i guess just to kind of you know kind of help me contextualize things a little bit um for whatever reason guys who pick up grass titles with the exception of queens in the run-up to wimbledon flame out here and it's been a lot made of sort of the hollow champions besides roger federer losing round one every year going back to like 2010 which seems impossible, but sure enough, like you check it and every year a guy who wins Halla loses around in one, including, you know, Hubie her catch last year and probably losing to Davidovich Fakina and like his second ever grass match. Um, so it was, it was it's really uh, uh, unusual to see, you know, like championship pedigree on the grass run up, carry into Wimbledon for whatever reason, even though you would think the skill set translates directly, which it does. Um, and I can't explain it, uh, <laughs> so I just want to know, like you know, Bublik who looked pretty amazing <laughs> in Hala. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, what do we do? <laughs> he could he could well
2: continue that run as well of, of, of Hala Hala winners uh, losing in round one. Um, look, I think I think I think a lot of it is actually to do with scheduling. So we've come off in May pretty arduous clay clay season where you've got two big masters events then you've got the french open players are probably pretty shattered by that point and then going into the warm up events having a a, a long a long, uh, tournament in the warm up event probably isn't great prep for for this uh, a you know, seven round, best of five sets at Wimbledon on a on a fairly unfamiliar surface where there's a big change in surface speeds from clay as well. Now, look, we can, I can. What I will say is that you can look at what Djokovic has done, and you can see right now that that he barely ever plays his warm up events he's playing an exhibition, he might play know, a couple of games or something like that, and that's going to be about it. Um, and if he's doing that, then there's probably a pretty good reason for it. And the other players haven't sort of have really got the memo about it. I mean, Sitsipas playing in Mallorca this week is about as absurd as it gets. Um, uh, Fritz playing in Eastbourne, you can kind of understand it. He's, he's got a good record there in the past. And I think that also lends itself to to what a further point about this sort of the next tier of players, if you like. So I remember back in back over the last sort of decade or so, the, these grass events were dominated by players like Feliciano Lopez and Gilles Simon, players who you knew probably wouldn't really have a great shot of making at least the semi-finals of Wimbledon. And I think maybe they used this as just an opportunity to get some some nice ranking points over a couple of tournaments where they'd be pretty strong favourites over most players. And, and and maybe Fritz at this moment in time falls into that bracket. But um, I think that if you're looking at the, the, the two warm-up tournaments this week in, in Mallorca and Eastbourne, uh, Sitsipas is, is like I say, is insane for playing this week. Uh, and um, Fritz, you can understand a bit more, but they're the only two players who I, I think are, are, are in the top 10 in the outright market currently. So, yeah, that tells its own story as well. So just don't overplay. Uh, it's as critical not to overplay before a Grand Slam, as it is to not get drawn into a five-setter or round one or round two when when you need to save your energy for bigger challenges uh, yeah. in the later rounds.
1: There's one exception. I uh, that and that makes total sense. I don't know, no, no, uh, no objection. The one exception I would have is I'm glad that Maxime Cressy is playing this week. Um, he's a player that's been really tough to come up with a fair price on because he's been so mm-hmm. underwhelming for so much of the last year. but his game is uniquely set up to do well on grass and he just hasn't had the timing he hasn't had the results and so seeing him in Eastbourne and seeing him get a win today I think is pretty important even though again it's against a Colombian player that you know I, I imagine has pretty horrifically bad grass numbers he's still only beat him <laughs> six four seven five um but uh, Cressy's, I am looking at the the uh, the charting project from Jeff Sackman on Tennis Abstract right now cuz I was just curious like you know who who deploys the serve and volley anymore on tour and is basically the only guy like your average player is serve and volleying less than 5% of the time Maxime Cressy is doing it 82% of the time <laughs> that, that is his entire strategy is serving volley. And that's a throwback to the, you know, to the way things were on grass in the nineties. Like that's just, hasn't been that way on tour for so long. Um, winning 74% of his serve and volley points, he's going to the net also, you know, 36% of the time, which is much more than the next, you know, tier of guys. And he's winning 71% of those points. So Cressy, if he can find some rhythm with his serve, uh, in Eastbourne this week, I think is going to be an interesting guy to keep an eye on where he lands in the draw. He could carry that into Wimbledon for sure. Just because, just because his game should do well on grass and, you know, he just needs the, the reps. I think, um, the other guys with sort of the right composition in terms of what they bring to the game of tennis, um, Certainly Jan Leonard Struff, who's had a little bit of success this year, really just this last month in particular has played well. Um, the uh Quentin Hallies, who I've always kind of assumed was going to at one point, in some point in his career, make a run at Wimbledon. This year could be the year, surely. Uh, we already mentioned Alexander Bublik, who I hope I hope he breaks the uh the hollow curse just because he's a fun guy to watch. Um, but uh, you know, similarly, like, you know, he's got the right. You know, game for succeeding here. Um, and, uh, you know, these are all guys that I think have much lower than 1% chance to win the tournament, but, uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, the realistic chances to win their quarters at pretty big prices. Like, what's Cressy right now? You got him at uh, like 100 to 1 ish, I think. Let me see. 135. Yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a fair outright price for him. But if you can get him in a quarter price in like the 25 to 1 range, if he's out of Djokovic's quarter, then I'm probably going to take that.
2: Yeah, so I look at guys like Cressy, maybe even like Ben Shelton or something. As a, yeah, Shelton, a, great call. Yeah, as, as a player who could just give a, a, a big seed a really tough time of things in an individual match. I think getting to sort of the quarterfinals um, plus is is, is going to be probably be beyond them because I think that their serve will will Misfire enough for that not to happen uh, on a consistent basis. I'm talking about, and also they're going to be playing like a lot of high variance points, tie breaks, match matches with a few break points, etc. It's really tough to continue continue uh, winning those type of matches, but but they can give a a, a big name absolutely huge headaches no doubt about that over we will be in the sort of first four rounds or so and, and and i mean if you look at say like a cressy or a shelton uh, at the same price as dominic team um i know i'm pretty sure if i was a top 10 player who i would rather play at right now on grass and it would be
0: dominic team yes, um, yeah so so i think that says a lot as well you you got M- Massetti there at that price as well which he's uh trying to yeah a bit more of a pedigree on grass and team has as well in the last um few months the, the two other players i wanted to just i was just having a look at the uh, market myself was um see casper Rood who i think we mentioned before but he'd um hasn't really been doing too much apart from playing golf and enjoying himself in 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 his uh back back home and then also um cameron Norrie, who um was that Queen's last week? I think he went out quarterfinals to... Was it to quarter that he went out to? Um, yeah. Do, do we expect either of them two to, to uh, maybe yeah, make that quarterfinal or, or, or even go deeper? For me, I think a quarterfinal
2: would be a pretty decent return for both of those players right now. I know a uh, I know Drew's a big fan of Cam Norrie, so uh, I'll will <laughs> pass the mic over to him here.
1: <laughs> I mean, Cam Norrie is impossible to price right now for a lot of reasons. Uh he should he should be expecting week 2 at Wimbledon because he's, you know, he's, he's got game that's good enough to be top 32 and he's got uh, endurance, which you need for best of five tennis, but he's, he's been very disappointing this year. Um, really since his, what is now in hindsight, looking like a very fraudulent Indian Wells title, uh, just hasn't really been able to do much in terms of like high level, performance. So it's yeah, you know, he may he may ultimately uh just not have the goods. Uh, and or maybe it's a mental thing about performing in the UK. I mean, I think it's I don't think it's necessarily easy to be a player from the UK and play at Wimbledon. Like, yeah, you get crowd support, but you're also under an absolute microscope in terms of uh, you know, the press and you know the the media uh scrutiny. So that uh, you know not everybody does well under that microscope. And Cam Norrie could be one of those guys. But uh, Rude is Rude is is a funny one just because he's, you know, he's played four matches here at Wimbledon in best of five setting. He's one in three. His one win was against Albert, Albert Ramos. Uh, he's lost to Ugo Humbert, Jordan Thompson and John Isner. Um, that sounds about right. <laughs> like that's, that's kind of <laughs> what I expected when I looked him up. <laughs> I was I like, yeah, did. yeah, that's, that sounds right to me. Um, and you know, I think, uh, if you, if we want to kind of highlight some players who are outside of the top two and, you know, what realistically their shots are, who we haven't mentioned. Um, I'm going to need to see Sinner do it before I ever get in bed with him again. Uh, his loss at the French Open was just horrific. Uh, Zverev, happy to be there in the uh, French Open semifinals. Uh, embarrassing loss to Bublik, who was just clowning him on his serve in that match. Um, Fritz's interesting, but... He's carrying baggage from last year's loss to Rafa Nadal. Curios uh, is a complete scratch off uh, for you know health and mental reasons. Obviously, particularly at price, Sissipas is a complete scratch off for mental and just in general performance on grass reasons. Uh, Rune a little short at twenty eight to one, but a guy that you absolutely have to watch, and you know you need to evaluate his progression on on grass matteo Berrettini is a complete scratch off due to health and performance recently' are you, are you going to be playing I'm not even sure I don't think I'm not sure he's even in the draw he may have already withdrawn um Felix Algger aliassim is a scratch off andy Andy Murray we've covered is absurd price at 32 uh Corda at 35 to one is probably not bettable you know, if he was in the fifty or one hundred to one range, we'd be banging the table. But thirty five is right for him, so it's got to be a pass. Nori's a pass at forty five. Tiafoe's a pass at forty five. Her catch pass at fifty. Uh, Rublev for me is a top ten, and I'm not exactly sure why he's fifty to one. Um, he's yet to ever get past the quarterfinals of a Grand Slam, which is a problem, uh, surely. But uh, I, I have him more, you know, higher win share than uh, a lot of the guys we already just named, uh, particularly the guys that are in yeah, the tournament. Uh, so Rublev should probably be closer to thirty. Fifty is not, you know, it's not the steal of of all, you know, of all time, but it's a, it's a good bet. Demon Hour at sixty two is a good bet. Stroof at sixty seven is fair. Chapovalov's a scratch. Dimitrov's a scratch. Chilich isn't playing. Sarundalo at 90 to 1 is interesting just because he was kind of dynamic against Nadal last year at Wimbledon. Um, but ultimately, I don't think he could take that price. Just find match betting for him. And then, yeah, as you go down, I think we've covered the other guys that have a realistic uh, shot, but you're probably just better off picking them off in, in specific matches against players who are, uh, you know, kind of in that mix that we just said, you know, are 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 complete write-offs. Um, but yeah, you'll, you'll see some interesting results, I think from Cressy, from Bublik, uh, from Ben Shelton. Um, and, uh, you know, then everybody else in the mix there is, is, uh, is a clear pass.
0: Yeah. Just, I just, I thought it's worth noting as, as well. We've got here is, uh, both sides um, here of on, on will Djokovic win Wimbledon. We've got yes at minus one forty and no at plus one one five. So sort of know where we, we, we sort of know where we're sticking our sticking our mast in the sand here with with Novak. Come to the end of things here. Just wanted to sort of wrap up things with with maybe final thoughts, um, things for our betters to consider or. So other factors you you, you you feel we haven't mentioned and, and it's worth mentioning, uh, the,
1: the floor is open. Yeah. Yes. Dan, do you think I was too quick to dismiss any of those men?
2: No, no, you have pretty much echoed all my thoughts. I mean, there's a coherent reason, I think, for all of them, really, that the, that you would scratch those guys. And, and, and they certainly, in my view, got a sub-1% chance of winning the title and that ultimately makes their market price unbeddable.
1: Yeah, I, I think strategy for the men's, I don't mind that yes price on Djokovic and then sit on your hands and see if Alcaraz gets to the final. And at that point, decide if you want to ride Djokovic or if you want to grab some Alcaraz. Alcaraz, Djokovic as a final at Wimbledon would be one of the most fun markets to watch, markets to bet, in-game market to bet. Um, and I think it would be a really good match. Um, and I would give... Alcaraz a better shot than what I think his closing price is going to be.
0: You think he sort of recovered maybe mentally from the loss against Djokovic um, on clay and, and ready to
1: sort of go again? He's got a little bit of a robot kind of mentality to me. So I think he probably has. Um, and, you know, it's uh, I, my read on what happened in that French Open was he was just too, he was too amped up uh it was too he, the the nerves and the excitement and the um you know the the fact that it was you know at long last we get to see him face Djokovic in a grand slam setting, I think led to the cramping um and now, having had that happen,, I don't think it was. You know, the once, once, once he started cramping, and it was particularly as aggressive as it was. I think he knew the match was over, and so it wasn't like Djokovic necessarily really out. You know, got the better of him to the way that he's not going to have belief in himself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be much more of Djokovic. I, it, I, c- I can see Djokovic winning a hard-fought three-one. I could see him winning a very you know like a, a, a marathony three-two uh, against Alcaraz, but I think. Djokovic is going to have to solve Alcaraz's game on grass, which is a little bit of an unknown. Um, And I think that's just going to make that more of a match potentially. Not not unlike what we saw Djokovic do to Center last year in the quarterfinals. Uh, People probably forget that, but we went on and on about Djokovic has never lost. You know, Djokovic, it took him five sets to get by Yannick Center last year in the quarters. Um, And there could be an air of, uh, you know, a whiff of that uh, if, uh, you know, if he runs into Alcaraz in the finals.
2: I'm probably a little bit less bullish on Alcaraz's chances. I think over overall, um, you know, there are obviously those circumstances behind the loss at, at French Open, but this is a this is a surface right now where I think there's a bigger differential between between the two players than 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 clay, um, and you know that that Djokovic price is it's. it's very, very difficult. You know, most people are going to be think you are mad for thinking that an odds on price is value, but I actually think that the, the it, it's certainly not layable in my opinion because he's he's a uh, so so far ahead of the field uh, and particularly at this tournament as well. Having won the last four events, seven titles, going for the eighth one this year. Um, for me, that a big chunk of that one one point seven ish price is whether he gets injured or not, or somehow someone Dennis system him in the first round or something like that. When he's a bit rusty, um, mm-hmm. if he gets through the first couple of rounds easily enough, I think he's going to be extremely difficult.
1: Well, let me ask, uh, let me ask Dan one more question before we close it then. What's yeah, Dan, definitely. Dan, what's your fair price on, uh, Djokovic calendar slam?
2: Well, um, if he, if he wins here, which I think, I think is certainly more likely than not, uh, um, I, I, it's hard. It's hard really to make a case for him being poor value, even um, pretty solid odds on. Um, I think. I think ultimately you go going he'll go into the US. at Not much of a bigger price there than he will here. So you maybe you throw in one point six something here, maybe even money ish, maybe at the US Open, something like that. Okay. And uh, and you're looking at looking at what three three point five yeah. maybe, something like. that?
1: wow
0: well we'll we'll have to get that one price up as well then and
1: uh calendar slam there you go i mean i think you you probably have the market open for the u.s open but uh uh yeah i'm i i uh i have long been uh oh no yeah i've long been excited to bet against djokovic in uh flushing meadows just because it seems to be the flam that least suits him um but uh he's played a lot less tennis this year than he usually has. Uh and he's gonna be a uh, a lot fresher than he normally is, and that could be ultimately the uh the recipe to to win the calendar slam this year.
2: I just checked some other market prices and he just he's just a little bit more than uh even money right now. So you're looking at around about three point five, three point six now for for a calendar slam.
1: Amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. There we go. We shall see. The story is <laughs> to be continued as of next week. yes to do it. it's to get over the line here first. Nice one. Cheers, fellas. I'll um, hopefully yeah speak to you soon. And um, yeah, we'll go again for the for the US. And thanks for joining Drew, Dan, and I on this episode of Advantage Betters. I'll leave the guys' Twitter handles in the description. And uh, we'll have a pair of Wimbledon betting previews, as always, from Dan to come in the next few days. All odds are correct as the time of the recording. Please bet responsibly, and we hope it's a profitable fortnight at the All England Club. Thanks for listening.